My name's Amanda Cantrell Roche. I am a teaching artist and an artist based in Nashville, Tennessee. And if you have not yet listened to the episode before this, I hope you will. It's called Stories of Resilient Educators. It was produced in the spring of 2021, and it features the words and stories of 16 different Metro Nashville public school teachers who applied to be part of the project, and also a song inspired by their stories written and performed by Allison Brazil. And today we have one of those teachers who participated in that project through uh, application form and sending in um, some reflective quotes, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Thank you, Amanda, for having me on today. I am Jennifer Abel. I am the former exceptional education lead teacher at Hermitage Elementary during last year's pandemic. And this year I am now the gifted and talented teacher at Schwab Elementary. Yeah, so I wanted to get a chance to talk to you a little bit more in detail because you had such um, insightful responses on your application form. Uh, One of the things that you did talk about was the kind of systemic change that is needed in education and how um, even though teaching is a calling, that that shouldn't be something that you do only because you're passionate about the teachers need to be equally paid and that we all need to work together as a community to support teachers. Can you talk just a little bit more about that? Sure, absolutely. You know, it's an idea that here in America, we always talk about how teachers and even nurses and our um, emergency responders, we as service individuals are always a huge part of the communities we're a part of. But if you look at the pay schedules of all of those positions I just listed, your nurses, your EMTs, your police officers, your firefighters, teachers, et cetera, we're often in the bottom levels of what pay scales reach. Um, I really started to kind of look into that a little bit more during my graduate program when I was actually doing some international research, looking at moving to a doctorate program and a Fulbright scholarship and looking at how education and educators are viewed in different parts of the world. So for example, in the Scandinavian countries such as Sweden and Finland and Norway, Educators are highly valued and regarded. They are often paid at the level here in America of what attorneys and doctors are paid for. And so thinking of that idea, looking at what happens in other parts of the world, yet knowing what the impact is that we as teachers have on our communities There's not a single adult in this world and in the United States who has gotten to the point that they are at in their life without their formal primary year's education, kindergarten through 12th grade. Whether that education took place in public settings, in private independent settings, or even with your own parents homeschooling you. So to talk about the value that educators provide to the growth and development of our country in words, but then it's a matter of does society really value and appreciate what we do in action? And the only way to increase the educational growth across our country 
increase the overall performance levels of our students across the country when you're comparing us to China and Australia and New Zealand and Finland and other countries in the world who are currently outperforming our students academically, you have to look at the societal view and the systematic changes that are needed in education as a whole. And that has to start first with the way in which we're viewed. You can look at the statistics from a collegiate standpoint a uh, professor shared with me in my graduate program back in like 1973, I think it was, all incoming freshmen, it was like an overwhelming percentage of like 47% of incoming freshmen in 1973 were education majors. Today, 2021, it is, I want to say, maybe 15%. People are not choosing education anymore. We're going to hit a time period in our country we physically will not have enough educators in our classrooms to do the job that our society needs to continue growth and progress in the future. Wow. And that that's a really scary thought. And I see a lot of teachers that had left last year that chose to leave. It was such a difficult year with the pandemic and the online teaching and I totally support that as a, you know, as a personal choice that they needed to make. I completely understand that. And at the same time, my heart kind of aches for all the students that lost those good, passionate, talented teachers. So let's hope that this is going to, this whole experience is going to show us that we need to spend more time and money and energy on teachers and education as a whole. Um, So I wanted to ask about the experience of last year in teaching special ed and uh, maybe talk about either your own resiliency as a teacher or some resiliency that you saw in your students during that pretty challenging year. Challenging is definitely a word for it. And honestly, I feel like the word even more so was exhausting. The exhaustion point of it mentally for us as teachers, we never knew what to expect next. We didn't know if we were going to be in person or virtual or part of the time or start one way and then change in the middle. It was very exhausting to constantly jump back and forth between one or the other. So if it was exhausting for us as adults who were driving the ship, what was it even like for our students and our families who were managing multiple students in the same home with the same concerns? So we start, you know, virtual now and seven weeks later we move to in-person and we think we're going to finish that. And then just before Thanksgiving break, oops, no, we're not coming back until January. While we as teachers did our best to hold as much consistency as possible for our students and our families, the reality is the teaching process between virtual learning and teaching and in-person virtual and learning are two very different things. So we as teachers, to the benefit, we had to collaborate even more than we ever had before in our buildings because some teachers jump right on immediately with, how do I do this virtual technology? 
other teachers who had been teaching 20 plus years who may not have had as much computer experience, they were now really having to collaborate with some of the younger teachers in the building and learn from them. Where previously in-house, it may have been the older teachers coaching and instructing younger teachers, more learning content, curriculum, classroom management. So the resiliency of us as teachers really pushed us together to collaborate more and to figure out how to be flexible on a dime. In turn, we had to make that happen and build consistency and build safety for our families. Being at Hermitage Elementary, we were one of the communities who were impacted by the tornado first and then impacted by the pandemic. We had families in our building who had lost their homes. So we had families that at the point that we went virtual didn't care at that point about virtual learning. They were now trying to figure out where they were going to live, what they were going to wear, and how are they going to rebuild their lives. So there were so many things that impacted our need as teachers to learn to be flexible, learn to collaborate in a new environment, and build that resiliency for us to hold that safe space for our students and our families while still having to do our primary job, which is educate them in a curriculum, educate them academically, educate them socially and emotionally, so that we could hope that we've done enough in the back and forth environment so that when the next school year comes around, here we are now, they're moving to the next grade level. Whether they learned everything they needed to last year or not as a second grader, they're still going to third grade this year. Mm, yeah. So it was just a lot emotionally and mentally for us as teachers to constantly have to change back and forth and figure out, well, what do I do this week? All right, let's get in the groove. Let's set the expectation. Let's move forward. Six weeks later, boom, it changed. And so that's where I think so many of us had to build our resiliency. And then for me, as you asked, I was a special education teacher for the last seven years at Hermitage. I have five-year-olds who don't know how to write their name, who have autism in various forms, who struggle to hold your engagement one-on-one in a physical setting in a classroom, make eye contact with you and engage in learning. And now I'm asking them to stare at a computer screen on and off all day long and hold attention. I actually found through working with many of my families and my parents and my students that for many of my students, the virtual learning setting was extremely mentally taxing on them. They struggle to hold attention online because they're now inattentive through everything. They see what's going on in every classmate's home. They see the dog running through. They see the parent carrying in groceries. There was even more distractions in a computer screen than there are in the classroom where you can at least get them to focus on you as the teacher in the front of the room or focus on the paper in front of them. And so it was extremely difficult for many of my students to hold their attention in their whole class group setting, 10, 12, 15, 18 students. And I did do a better job with them in my setting doing virtual learning. I often had anywhere between one to six students. So I would at least be able to keep their attention in a small group setting in a virtual learning but definitely it would never have made up for what I was able to do with them 
in-person, small group, rotating around the room, hand-over-hand pencil-writing, correction on the spot. Yeah. Um, there was definitely a lot lost for my students with disabilities struggling to stay engaged in that in that screen-based time. Right. And as a teaching artist, one thing that I really missed was like you said, you've got the group doing something, but you can't just go to one student unless you privately chat them. And you can't just walk around the room and, and check in as needed um, when you send them off to breakout rooms. If you do that, you can't just glance over and see who's being productive and who might be off tasks. That was hard for me, even in small groups. I, I just cannot fathom it with that age group. And I, I commend you for getting through the school year. Well, I'm going to try to wrap it up a little bit, but I wanted to ask sure. you kind of briefly, what do you expect um, to find the, this next school year in terms of resiliency for yourself and maybe even your students? Because you're in a new school, you're in a new um, group, you're with a new group of students, presumably will be in person least for a while? I actually anticipate this year the need for resiliency to actually be significantly less. Because having taught this summer with Promising Scholars, and for the first time, Promising Scholars was a pretty large program that was in you know first-time endeavor. A lot of the students that joined Promising Scholars this summer were students coming back in person for the first time, having been gone 18 months. And the number one thing that I saw consistently with all of those students, and many of them came from other schools to the Promising Scholars location, so they weren't my home-based students, they were so excited to be back in person. They were so motivated, so engaged. It's almost like they, even for the like third, fourth, and fifth graders we had, it's like they became these brand new little sponges all over again. They wanted to absorb anything and everything we could give them because I think they themselves realized being back in a very quick time, how much they missed, not just academically, academically in their mind on the lowest scale, socially and emotionally. They missed human interaction. They missed conversation face-to-face -face with their peers. So I'm hoping that because of the resiliency that students had to develop for the last 18 months, coming back in person is actually going to fuel their desire to improve their social skills because they now realize how difficult it is to be in isolation and quarantine for so long and not have this peer network around them. Like, oh my gosh, I missed you. Well, let's go sit down and talk, you know, before we uh, have to get started on our morning work. So I'm hoping that the students are now going to learn to appreciate all of those little details that they've missed from being in school. And they will now embrace all the new strategies that teachers are going to bring to the table. They're going to embrace the learning process more because they've missed it so much and that they, many of them realize that they need to regroup and catch up in so many ways. So that's what I'm hoping for, that the natural level of motivation and excitement bounds through that door on August 10th, day one of kids who truly are just so 
happy to be back in the normal way of what school should be. Wow. Well, I I certainly hope and wish that is the case for you and all of the students in Metro returning and the students returning all over the country. Maybe it is a little bit of a, a fresh start in some ways. Yes. And really, really appreciate you as an educator. I appreciate you taking the time today to talk to Thank us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And, and everybody listening, if you have not yet heard the Stories of Resilient Educators episode before this. I hope you'll go back and listen to that. And if you are not an educator, I hope you will thank an educator in your life for what they are doing. And um, for all of you teachers out there, I just want to say I really appreciate and respect what you do and that you've chosen this profession. So thank you. Thank you.